0: Good day, friends. This is Ray Kozak. Today is day number 33 of Jesus in the Center, one-year Bible podcast. Wow, there's some doozies here in Exodus 15, 16, 17, and in Matthew 22. I see myself, and maybe you see yourself as well as we read through this. How many times does it go from like, wow, the Lord has provided, it's awesome, and then, you know, something goes wrong, and grumble, 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 cry out against the Lord, quarrel with Moses quarrel with God, indict God. It's just like me and you. We, yesterday, our readings, we see Pharaoh and his armies just, just destroyed and washed, uh, washed up. And God had provided. In, in fact, our, our reading today, it picks up with Miriam and the women of, of God. Or they're just singing out, sing unto the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. They rejoice. It's awesome. And they're going out. The very next verse, verse 22, it says Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. You know, their supplies are pretty much uh, gone. And it says they, they grumbled against the Lord. Now they've already grumbled against the Lord yesterday as they're seeing Pharaoh's armies come. It doesn't use the word grumbles, but they are crying out against the Lord. Moses, why did you bring us here to kill us? That is going to be this common refrain that we're going to read as we read through here in Exodus. And also uh, when we get to Numbers, we're going to see this constant refrain of grumbling against the Lord. I don't know if you picked up on this verse, chapter 15, verse 26. When I was diagnosed with cancer uh, back in 2018, and things were scary, and it was really tempting to think that God had abandoned us um, someone sent us a card. In fact, a, a lovely brothers and sisters from Pennsylvania sent this card. And uh, many, many people sent cards and prayed. And I'm so thankful for all of them. But I remember one of them that stood out. And they had this verse from, from Exodus 15, 26. And it says, I am the Lord that healeth thee. It was a King James Version. Wow. Thanks be to God for that. He doesn't always heal, but in the the last day he will He will heal us, and we will be whole, uh, as Jesus says uh, when he's talking to the Sadducees. We'll be like the angels in heaven. We will be holy and whole, and all will be right. All is not right here with the people of God as they are grumbling against Moses and Aaron. And interesting here that as they grumble uh, for not having the water in the wilderness, this is chapter 16, Moses and Aaron know their grumbling is not really against them. It's a good reminder. Sometimes people are just mad at you, but they're really just mad at life. They're mad at God. And here, Moses and Aaron say, it's not against us that you're grumbling. It, you're grumbling against the Lord. That's chapter 15, uh, chapter 16, verse 8. Anyway, the Lord provides. He provides both meat, you know, quail in the evening, and then this white powdery stuff in the morning. Uh, they literally don't know what it is. So they say, what is it? And that's the Hebrew word manna. So when they say, hey, this is manna, they're saying, this is, what is it? (laughs) God provides something they don't even have a a name, a word for, a category for. It's bread from heaven, which is a great reminder for us. The Lord provides bread from heaven. He provides the ultimate bread from heaven. Read John chapter six. Jesus says that this was a sign of him, the the bread of God coming down from heaven for us. Well, is not it cool how, each of these people would gather what they needed. They couldn't get more than they needed. They didn't get less than they needed. And yet some, just like us, when they tried to hold on to a little bit extra till tomorrow, just in case the Lord doesn't provide tomorrow, what happened to that manna? It got rotten. It got full of maggots. And it, and that is kind of a description of their faith. Their faith was pretty rotten. And so um, the Lord brought these maggots to show, like, if you trust in the stuff I give you, uh, it'll rot. But if you trust in me, uh, I will provide for you. So a great lesson for us. Chapter 17 is really about God on trial. It, it doesn't. We don't pick it all up, but uh, the words that are used in Hebrew are definitely showing that the, the Israelites are putting God to the test. They are putting God on trial. And the Lord actually takes it. And it, it's just fascinating as you read the story. So let's just take a, a moment and look at it. So verses 1, 2, and 3, there's a lawsuit. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of Sin. By the way, this is, does not, it's not the same word for us, like where we use Sin. It's more like a Shin, or just, it's the name of the geography. So they move on by stages according to the commandment of the Lord. And they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water, again, for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink, and Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And at the end, of the, when, well, I'm skipping down to the very last verse, verse 7, and it says that they at this place they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So they're putting God trial. The lawsuit is, you've brought us here to kill us. That's their indictment against God. So there's a trial. It's easy to miss it. So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. If Moses is guilty, he ought to be stoned. They're saying that, Moses, you are guilty. You brought us here to kill us. You're guilty. Let's kill you because that's what you deserve, the death penalty. And then it says, the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. So he's saying, "Okay, the people want a trial. Let's have a trial. Moses, take the elders. These are would be the the judges. These are the the elders would be those who would settle this dispute. They would be the jury. He says, pass on before. Take that staff that I gave you. The staff will be the symbol of authority. So between Moses' authority and this whole jury of elders, they're going to have it out. Is is the Lord guilty of abandoning them? Is the Lord among them or not? And so there is this trial. Verse 6 says this. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. Okay, so God is saying, I will show up on trial. Now, I'll think of, of God getting in the, the box, or in, in Britain they say the dock, this little box where you sit if you're on trial, where you are asked questions, where you have to present your case and, and give all the details, your whole testimony. Well, God says, I will stand there before you. I will be on trial before you. And it says, at the rock, on the rock at Horeb. So it says that God is literally on the rock at Horeb. Now Horeb, that's the same word we heard, and where God showed up to uh, to Moses on Mount Horeb, uh, which later in chapter 19 we, we we see is called Mount Sinai, this great mountain um, where God revealed the Ten Commandments, where God showed up in the burning bush. But I don't think that's where they are yet, because it's describing that they're at Rephidim. The reason I don't think so is because the word. Horeb is the Hebrew word for dry. So God is saying, stand, I will show up before you on the dry rock. There is no water there. So in fact, they think they found this place. It's this big rock that kind of stands out. And um, well, I'll get to you what it looks like, but it's this huge rock. So he says, go up on this big rock. And of course, there's no water there. If you're going to be looking for water, You would go to a low spot, to uh, somewhere where you can find a spring. But God says, no, go up on this dry rock, and I will stand before you there. I will be on trial before you. And then this is what he says to Moses. And you, Moses, shall shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. Moses, I will be on that rock. You shall strike the rock. And archaeologists, and who knows if this is true, but if you look up Mount Mount Horeb or the rock that was split, archaeologists think, or geologists maybe, they think that they have identified this rock. It's at the, at the right place in this wilderness, and it's this big, you know, rock that you could climb up, and it's struck in two. It's like two pieces. So it's like, here, strike me here. Yeah, it's amazing. Remember yesterday I pointed out to you 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me read that again because it's just amazing here. It says this. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food. And get this. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Wow, isn't that amazing? Here Paul is looking back and saying the rock that they drank from was actually a spiritual rock and that rock was Christ. God had said here in Exodus 17, I will stand before you there on the rock. And Paul interprets this and says Christ was the rock or in the rock or whatever. This is a foreshadowing of the striking that The Son of God would receive to give spiritual drink, true drink, eternal drink to all of us who need him. Here God proves that he is among them, that he is everything they need. And here, in a most fascinating way, he prefigures and shows ahead of time what will happen on Mount Calvary, on that rock, Mount Calvary. Wow. Okay, my mind is blown As I'm thinking about this, thank you, thank you, God, that you have sent Jesus, the true bread from heaven, the rock that followed the people of Israel in the wilderness, uh, the the one who would be struck to give us true drink. All right, well, let's flip over to Matthew, Matthew, uh, chapter 22. Jesus goes on and he's teaching about what heaven is like. He says the kingdom of God is like like a wedding feast, a king who is throwing a reception for. Uh, a wedding reception for his son. It's amazing. It's awesome. Think of a king in this time. Like Most people don't have a lot of money. They're, they're not eating steak every day. If they can just scrape up enough money to get by. They're going to be happy. But here, a king throws the party of a lifetime for his son. And guess what? Everyone is invited. And interesting uh, that not everyone comes. And in fact, what a repudiation. What a dishonoring of the king by not showing up and, and having excuses. Even though those important people who were invited didn't show up, the king keeps inviting. He goes out, he sends his servants out to the main roads to invite as many as they can find, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. And those guests are not the most important nobles because those guys were too good They had business dealings and family dealings. They just would not respect the king. And so the rest of society are invited in. And and again, this context, Jesus is talking about the important people, the chief priests, the scribes, who will not repent at the preaching of John the Baptist and will not repent at the preaching of Jesus. They don't believe. And so God has found others less important in the eyes of the world who come in. And then interesting, there is a guy there at this wedding feast, who is not dressed appropriately. He says this, When the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. He said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. He, we have two pictures here. We have the picture of those who just won't come in. They, they just reject the offer. They say, No, thank you. I, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm not going to your stupid party, a party to honor your son. I don't want it. And then there's those uh, pictured here. This man, they're in, they're they're at the right place. They pretend to have come, but they are not dressed right. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, it's hard to know exactly. Perhaps, and some commentators say this, but there's not a lot of evidence about this, but it makes sense that perhaps at a party like this, of course, these rabble rousers are not going to be dressed right. And so the king provides wedding garments for all those who are coming in. But some dude came in the back way, came in through a window, or he refused to take the wedding garment that was given to all the guests. We don't exactly know, but Jesus is saying there are some who are pretending to be in who are not really in. They don't, they don't have the right dress. They're still not honoring the son and the bride. This man is asked, how did you get in here? And it says this. He was speechless. Ah, come on, dude. You could say anything at this moment. I just confess, like, I I came in the back way. I came in and and I didn't take a wedding garment. I would love to have one now. Whatever, right? We know the heart of the king to, to invite everybody to give wedding garments, to honor his son. But for those who refuse whether it's by not coming in or by not taking the wedding garment, we could say the garment of righteousness that is offered and required for all, then they're left outside. Wow, that is that is chilling and, and hard, but good because we know the king wants all. He wants all, but there are still requirements, right? Requirements to receive what is, is required, if that makes sense. All right, well, We have this other story of how they try to plot Pharisees and Herodians. These guys don't normally get along, although they do have something in common. They share power. Is it lawful, Jesus, to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They are trying to trap him. He can't win, right? If he says yes, it's right, then all the people who follow him, who don't want to pay taxes, are going to be like, I'm done with that guy. If he says no, ah, now they have a reason to bring him before The governor, this man is a rebel. He says, "Don't pay taxes," so Jesus can't win, at least in theory. But Jesus is much wiser than they are, and so he says, "Show me the denarius." And they show it. By the way, they probably shouldn't have had a denarius in the Temple Mount because what does it have on it? As Jesus shows them, uh, he asks, "Whose likeness and inscription is this?" And they say, "Of course, Caesar's," which again, not lawful under their own rules, not Jesus' rules, but under their own rules, not lawful to have in the Temple Mount because of the likeness of Caesar. And on that coin, it would have said something like, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. That's on one side. And on the other side, it would have said, Pontifex Maximus, which is another way to say the high priest, are representative to God. So not only is is this coin a likeness of in their minds, the Romans' minds, uh, the son of God. It's also our high priest, the one who's ushered in this Pax Romana, this great kingdom of Rome. We worship this emperor. Resisting this, by the way, will get many Christians killed in in the centuries to come. They, These faithful Christians will not worship the emperor. They will not burn a pinch of incense and say, Caesar is Lord, because they know that there is there is another Lord. And so many of them are killed. And heh, crazy enough, many of them are killed rejoicing. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ, the true Lord. Well, anyway, back to here. Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's or pay to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's. Fair enough. But then he dethrones Caesar and says, And render to God the things that are God's. Well, what is God's? Everything. Everything is God's. But the opponents of Jesus are not done. That was the Pharisees and Herodians. We've also seen the chief priests and the scribes. Now we get a different group, a group called the Sadducees. And they are sad you see, you probably know this, they're sad you see because they don't believe in miracles. And if they don't believe in miracles, that means they're not going to believe in the resurrection from the dead because that would be a miracle. They are religious, but but they think they know better than God. They know that God wouldn't or couldn't do miracles. And so because of that they don't even believe in the whole Bible. They only believe in the first 5 books and they're wiser and more educated than these other foolish, pious people like the Pharisees. And so they're going to test Jesus and try to corner him and they bring this convoluted question about what's something that's called Levirate marriage. I think that's how you say it. And they say, well, in the resurrection, if this woman had seven husbands, well, whose wife will she be? They know that this is a dumb question, and Jesus is going to try to answer it in a dumb way. And it's going to show just how dumb Jesus is. But Jesus isn't dumb. He shows them that they are missing two things. He says you're wrong on two counts. One, you don't know you don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. They would have said they believe the scriptures, but they don't receive the whole canon, the whole uh, all the all the prophets, and they don't believe the power of God in the scriptures. So he says you're wrong on those two counts. And then he says, as far as the resurrection goes, in the resurrection you're not given in marriage. There is a higher calling. Something like the angels in heaven who are whole and healed and glorious and joyful, singing God's praises. Now on a side, will we have vocations in heaven? It sure seems like it. It sure seems like in the new heavens and new earth, this physical and spiritual place, there will be wonderful things that we will be doing. It says we will be reigning and ruling. There will be animals there. It's not like it's a immaterial existence. It's it's a beautiful place where the restored material world and the perfect spiritual world is united in the power of God. We look forward to it, but they they don't. So anyway, Jesus says, uh, and he uses the scripture here, he says, as far as the resurrection of the dead, haven't you read what was said to you by God? I'm the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Remember in, as we read through Genesis, it It spoke about Abraham and Isaac and and Jacob. And as they died, it says they they went to sleep with their fathers. They were gathered to their fathers. It's a beautiful picture. Jesus reminds us that they were, yes, their bodies went to Sheol or the pit underground. Yet they are gathered to God, gathered to their fathers. We don't get the response of the Sadducees here. But I wonder if, if they ponder what Jesus says. Oh. From my own scriptures, the little bit that I believe, Jesus has convinced me that that there is or may be a resurrection. Maybe in just a few days after Jesus is crucified and, and he's risen, perhaps, uh, perhaps they will come to believe. It does say in the book of Acts that many priests in Jerusalem came to believe in Jesus, the Messiah. Maybe they are some of those. They have heard Jesus' words, that there is a resurrection, and that they have evidence that... That Jesus is the first to bring this resurrection for them. Anywho, we have gone a bit long today, so we'll wrap up. Psalm twenty-seven is one of my favorites. Love it. Check it out. It was really meaningful for me when I was diagnosed with cancer. A prayer that I prayed against my enemies, and some some of my enemies were inside my body. Anyway, keep pondering. Keep praying. Keep growing in faith. Your Lord is faithful. He gives you bread from heaven. He gives you water from the rock. He gives you himself. He calls you to the great wedding feast in heaven, and he clothes you with his own righteousness. So come and celebrate this feast now and forever. He has rendered to God what is God's. He has given his life for us. He is the God of the living. You are immortal. You will live forever with him as you trust in him. Go in peace.